0: Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us. And when you were coming in and you got a bulletin and it still had Easter on the cover, maybe you thought we had a bunch of leftovers last week and we're just giving you the old one. Um, actually, we're this whole month of April, we're doing a series called Easter Before and After, and so we're going to talk about some of the after parts of Easter I'm really excited about. Um, thank you so much. We had a ton of you guys volunteer last week. We had all of our volunteer needs met. It was just beautiful last weekend, just seeing people serving and helping in all the different areas. People were praying for each service in one of the back rooms, and people just greeting people, caring for our kids, so you guys did a great job. Thank you. We had good, solid attendance here last week, East Campus, broke 200 people for their first week. A lot of folks from the community there. That was awesome. And we just had really high numbers off-site, too, from our uh, Facebook Live and then our live streaming. Just a lot of people from the outside looking in, too. So it was a great weekend. Uh, While I'm complimenting you guys, like also the month of March was a strong giving month here. Just really grateful for that, of how you guys are being sacrificial and generous in helping this church. So great job. Pat yourself on the back, all right? So that was good. So now this uh, Easter before and after thing I'm really excited about because uh, today we're going to talk about the ascension of Christ. And that, that usually, when we talk about Jesus, we talk a lot about his birth. We talk a lot about the cross and the resurrection. But a lot of times we don't talk a lot about the ascension. And so basically the ascension is Jesus rose again from the dead, spent about 40 days on the earth, appearing to his disciples, proving to him, hey, I'm really alive. It really happened, taught them some things about the kingdom, and then he literally ascended into heaven. And so uh, we're going to read the narrative of that story, then we're going to talk about, well, what is the ascended Jesus doing today, and then what's his significance for us? Because I think of the, you know, between the birth, the resurrection, the death and the cross, the ascension, I think we know very little about the ascension. In fact, one, one author this week, I like this, said that um, in some ways the ascension seems like a bad move, seems like bad strategy. Like right before you're ready to launch Christianity, you take the best player off the team and you put him in heaven and you leave the game up to the scrubs, right? It, it doesn't make any sense. Like why Why would you, like how would ministry go if Jesus were still on the planet? Like if he was still teaching and doing miracles and yet Jesus said that it's better for us if he were to to go and and then send his spirit. So we'll talk about that. But again, while it doesn't make sense, we don't understand a lot about it, when you see the response of his early followers, when they saw Jesus ascend, it says they worshiped him, it says they were full of joy, and that they, they praised God in the temple continually. It lit them up. You know, It wasn't like, how are we going to cope without Jesus? It was something about the ascension that they understood fired them up. And so that's the other part of this Easter before and after. It's not just chronologically what happened to Jesus before and after Easter, but what could happen in our lives before and after this Easter season, if we really understand the risen Christ and today the ascended Christ and what that means for us. So let me pray and then we'll jump in and, and study this great subject. And so I'd like to give you a chance to pray first because I know uh, it took whatever it took to get you here this morning. There's things on your mind from this week. Could you just, just calm yourself before God and say, God, would you please speak to me this morning? Would you teach me something about Jesus today? Just just ask God to do that. Then if you could pray for me, just pray that I would be bold, pray that I would be clear, pray that I would point us to Jesus from the Bible today. Jesus, it's a great privilege to be here and with your people and to study who you are, what you did with the ascension, and what you're doing now what you're doing today. Open our eyes, help us understand who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the story, one of the longest stories of the ascension is in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses just to get the story down of what what happened. All right, so Acts 1, verse 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Real quick, um, the author of this book is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the Book of Acts. So it's like uh, the ministry of Jesus, like you said, all that Jesus began to do was in the Gospel, and the Book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do through his church. This man, Theophilus, is a friend of Luke, somebody from the outside who has a lot of questions about Jesus and what he did, And so Luke was a historian, got a lot of data, a lot of information, and now is conveying to his friend who Jesus is. And like he just said, what Jesus did, book of Acts, and what Jesus continues to do, I'm sorry, Luke is what he did, what he's continuing to do, book of Acts. Okay, So verse 3, Jesus presented himself alive to his followers after, uh, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 of his followers at one time. So Jesus spending 40 days proving to everybody, hey, I'm alive, I'm really here, it's really me, and then teaching them about the kingdom, about the things that are to come, okay? So verse 4, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, that's John the Baptist, Um, But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, So the the emphasis here is like, so you you caught all this, Jesus is teaching them, he's with them, and then suddenly he's lifted up, and the emphasis here isn't on Jesus going up. It's not like how high he goes, but the emphasis here is on the cloud, which in the Old Testament represented the presence and the glory of God. What you're seeing here and what they witnessed was that Jesus had said he was lifted up, but then a cloud enveloped him, and then he was removed from their sight. The emphasis here is not that Jesus went up into the sky. It's not like a balloon you let go of. And where is Jesus going? Where is he? You know, is he going to come drifting back down? It's the whole emphasis on the cloud that he was taken into heaven. So not just into the heavens, into the skies, but that he was taken into into a whole new dimension. He's taken into heaven to be uh, with his father, and we'll talk more about that. So, so that's the the ascension here. In fact, the ascension uh, was Jesus' goal all the way along. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a key verse around chapter nine, verse fifty-one, where Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's been gathering them, and then it was at the, that moment where he set himself, he set his sights to go to Jerusalem. That's where the cross happened. That's where the resurrection happened. But listen to what the focus is. Luke 9.51 says, As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Like the end goal was the ascension. It could have said Jesus was going to the cross... Jesus is going to be resurrected. But no, that the end game is that Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. So what we're celebrating here is the underscore, the underline, the exclamation point, the big deal. What's the big deal about cross, resurrection? The ascension is, is what Jesus was going for. This is the ultimate. It proves, again, that cross, resurrection are significant. They happened because now he has ascended. He's in the presence of God. And so we'll talk more about what he's doing there. But, but it's a beautiful picture. It's not just literally that he goes up and drifts away, but that he is now ascended into heaven to play the roles that we're going to talk about. So, so then if you were to continue chronologically, okay, so Jesus just ascended. What happened next? Like when Jesus stepped into heaven, what happened? I think there's two things we're taught about. First is that he, he ascended to the throne. He was proclaimed King. So if you know the Easter story, when we think of the triumphal entry, you think about Palm Sunday where Jesus rode in Jerusalem on the donkey and everybody praised, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But really the ultimate, the ultimate celebration was when Jesus, after the ascension, entered heaven and then took the right hand of the father, took the seat as the king of kings and lord of lords. That was the true triumphal entry of the one who's just conquered sin and death, has just fulfilled the Father's plan for salvation. Now he has ascended into heaven. And then the first thing he does as king, as the ascended king sitting at the right hand of God, is that he sends his spirit. He receives the Holy Spirit from the Father and then sends the spirit to us. Just like he told his followers, you wait in Jerusalem until the spirit on high comes from you. So Jesus immediately pours his life-giving spirit into his followers, okay? So that's why he kept saying things like, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the spirit won't come. But if I go away, then my spirit will come to be in you, okay? So he kept telling them, it's better for you to have my spirit in you than to have me with you. And so that's, chronologically, Jesus spent 40 days with his followers, ascended into heaven, disappeared in the cloud, the glory of God, then ascended to the throne. He became the king. It was at the right hand of God. And then he poured out his spirit on all of his followers. Okay. So that's chronologically what happened next with Christ after the resurrection. So let's talk about what's Jesus doing today. Okay. What is the ascended Jesus on his throne doing today? So when scholars have looked at the work of Christ throughout the Bible, one of the ways um, they've tried to categorize those is to is to talk about Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. And so I wanted to look at those three roles of Jesus and how he's doing those today. So the the concept of Jesus being a prophet comes from the Old Testament. There was a time where God was talking to Moses, and God said to Moses, there's going to be a day where I'm going to raise up a prophet from among my people, and he will be the supreme prophet. There were many prophets, but this one prophet will be the one who will come and who will teach my truth, to my people. And so Jesus fulfilled that role. When he came to this earth, he taught about the kingdom. He taught with authority. And so what's happening now is that Jesus, even in his ascended role in heaven, continues to teach. Even though he's not here doing the Sermon on the Mount or teaching his disciples, he continues the role of a prophet from heaven. And so um, you can just look at the book of Acts and see this. So when Jesus ascended, Um, Paul told us he appeared to about 500 people. At the end of chapter 1, Jesus was gathering with about 120 of his followers. So let's say the number of followers Jesus had at his ascension were about 120 to 500, something like that. As you continue reading through Acts, the numbers of people who believe in Christ just continues to grow. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gives a sermon, and 3,000 people believe and start following Jesus. Acts chapter 4 tells us, that 5,000 people believed and started following Jesus. And it's really cool to just trace how the gospel has continued to change lives, that even though Jesus isn't here preaching, his words, his message, and the truth, the gospel about him, continues to transform lives. There's a guy, um, where am I in my notes? Dan Meyer wrote a book called Witness Essentials. Kind of gives us even a scan of what's happening today. In 1900, the country of Korea had no Protestant churches, Today, there are 7,000 churches just in Seoul, South Korea. So the gospel has been exploding on the Korean Peninsula, especially in the South. Uh, At the end of the 19th century, the uh, southern half of Africa was about 3% Christian. Today, it's about 63%. Christian. And if this is an average day, 34,000 people will start following Jesus today, just on the continent of Africa alone. There have been more people in the Islamic world that have started following Jesus in the last 25 years than in all of Christian mission before that. Like So the gospel is spreading and expanding, and Jesus is in heaven, right? So he's not here teaching. He's not the one leading the revivals, but he continues his role as prophet in in that his message continues to get out. He continues to teach. And you might ask, well, how's that happening? How how can that be? And Jesus told us in John 16, 13, he told his disciples this, that talking about the Holy Spirit, he said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to point point all of us to, to Jesus. For people that don't know Jesus yet, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of their sin and of their need for Jesus. And those that do know Jesus, the Holy Spirit keeps reminding us of what he taught us, helps us put those things to practice, and then gives us the boldness to share the gospel. So the Holy, the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent all of us continues this teaching role, the the prophet role that Jesus had when he was on the earth. So um, the message continues to grow and to spread. So he's the prophet today. He's still playing his role also as a priest, okay? So in the Old Testament, the role of the priest was to help sinful people like us come into the presence of a holy God, that the priest's role was to conduct the, the sacrifices and the offerings, and that when God's people would do those, then their sins would be covered, forgiven, and the priest would be then the mediator that would help bring a sinful person like you or me into the presence of God so that we could worship God and pray to him and call him our God and call ourselves his people. And so that was the role of a priest. The Bible tells us 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why he died on the cross to be that ultimate sacrifice for sin. And so the book of Hebrews does a good job of this. It talks about, you'll see throughout Hebrews, a contrast between the way the Old Testament worshipers had to have their sins forgiven, but how Jesus is far superior. Like he is the ultimate high priest. Just like God told Moses, there would be an ultimate prophet who would come. That was Jesus. Um, The Old Testament, they were also looking for the ultimate priest. Who's going to be the ultimate one that can bring us to God? And that was Jesus, his sinless Death on the cross where he took our sins on him and we can have forgiveness through him. So, for example, look at Hebrews 10, 11. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. At the right hand of God. Like, it's a great picture that you got these poor Old Testament guys, like, again and again have to do the same sacrifices because they and themselves could not cover the sins of Israel. But when the ultimate priest came and died once for all, when he ascended into heaven, he's not standing still doing the sacrifices for us. He sits down because the work is done. What he did for us on the cross now gives us that opportunity for sinful people like us to come into the presence of God. So he is our ascended high priest. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. I'd like We're going to catch that last phrase. So what Jesus is doing today as the ultimate high priest He's already paid the price. All of us who put our faith in Jesus can have access to God, can have eternal life secure in heaven because of what he's done. But he now currently is our advocate. He is constantly interceding for us. So if there's ever a charge, like, you know, if somebody, if, if Satan or if anybody were to say, what is, what is he doing thinking about he's going to heaven? Have you seen him? Did you see her this week and what she did and what she said? Like Jesus is the advocate. He's saying, no, I know her. She's mine, or he's mine. I died for him. I died for her. And so he's constantly defending, and he's our advocate. I like how Romans 8.34 puts it. Who then is the one who condemns? No one can condemn anyone who is in Christ, okay? Uh, Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's defending us. He's pleading for us. Have you ever been to a party or to an event that you had no way that you should be there. Like it was way above your pay grade. It was way above your, whatever, your status. Like you had no business being there, but because you knew somebody, you got to go. And you might even be there and there's some people like looking at you, like, what are you doing here? Or kind of checking you out. Like who said you could come? But then your friend comes, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Just how, how the good that feels, like on the grandest scale, that's that's us in heaven. Like any of us talking about, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. Like, we got to be getting, what, you? Like, do you understand? Like, sinful you in the presence of holy God forever? And Jesus is constantly blowing it. You betcha, That that one is mine. Coming and grabbing you by the hand, arm around you. Any accusation you're getting about you're not worthy, that you don't belong, that if your faith is in him, his death for you covers you. And you're his now. He's your advocate, constantly defending you on your side, Um, guaranteeing for you that when you die, you will be in heaven for eternity because he's your advocate. You didn't get there. It's that he chose you. He died for you. You put your faith in him, and now you have eternity secured. That's a beautiful picture of what he continues to do for us. So he's prophet, priest, and then he's the king. He is ruling over all of creation. The most quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm 110, and verse 1 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David wrote that. And there was a time where Jesus was discussing with the religious scholars who didn't believe in him. He was discussing with them, what, is, what does this verse mean? Like, who, who's David talking about? And they were like, well, I see. I'm not really sure who he's talking about here. And I think Jesus basically makes the point like, He's talking about me. He's talking about the Messiah that that the Lord, David says, the Lord says to my Lord. So who is David calling his Lord? It's the ultimate king who was to come for David. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus and who he claimed to be and then proved to be through the resurrection. So uh, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one that Paul said that God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So, what's Jesus doing today? He is ruling all of creation, he is ruling all things. We're going to look at a verse later where he is doing all things for the church for the advancement of the gospel, for uh, those that are following him. He is, he is ruling on our behalf. And so that, that's, an, that's an amazing statement. So we have a team of four from Parkview that are traveling back today uh, from Central African Republic. And maybe some of you have been getting updates from them. Man, those guys were legit. Like, they were out in the bush. Like, they were describing some of the things. They saw four hippos in a river. Like, some of the medical things they've been able to see. Some of the terrain they drove through. And so I remember a couple weeks ago when um, one of the women on the team... Jill and her husband, uh, Key, we were praying out there. I didn't know who to pray more for, Jill going into the bush or Key here with their two daughters, like just daddy and daughters for two weeks. Like who, we, we all need prayer here on this one, right? So, but just to pray together out there that Jesus, you own every square inch of this planet. There's not a square inch where you are not in charge, where you are not the authority. And so that wasn't just a wishful prayer. That was the absolute truth. So I look forward to hearing from this team when they get back, probably tomorrow night it looks like, but just to hear their stories of how they saw God provide and God comfort because they walked in that reality that, that Jesus is the ascended king, that he's ruling over all, all of creation. So, so what's the significance of the ascension for us? And so the first question I got to ask is like, are we living like Jesus is ascended? Are we living like he has been established in heaven at the right hand of God? So I wonder if sometimes we don't live like the disciples in Acts 1.11, where, you know, you kind of catch a glimpse that when the angel says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's kind of like they're just there like, duh. You know, like just like, what do we do now? You know, like so a little bit of a chiding there, like men of Israel, why? Why are you just standing there looking up in the sky? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will he not come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven? And so what I'm really glad for is that if you just read the Acts version, it just kind of continues the story. But in Luke's gospel, he gives us a little glimpse of how they responded. That when the disciples heard that message, started connecting dots. Okay, we just saw this, right? We just saw Jesus go in a cloud, now he's gone. Like once it dawned on them what that meant, look look what Luke's gospel tells us. It says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. The ascension lit them up. It wasn't like, Oh, are we going to cope? No more Jesus. Like it wasn't like a big group meltdown and weeping session and group hug. I mean, these guys got fired up because it just connected all the dots. He is ascended. He's the king. He's the priest. He's the prophet. It fired, it fired them up. And so I just wonder sometimes if our lack of knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's doing today, if that isn't sometimes a descriptor of why maybe our Christian life could be described as like, huh? where's he going? When's he coming back? Like, so like, I just wonder if we couldn't use a shot in the arm from the ascension. So here's three things, you guys, not to, I'm, I'm putting myself in that too. I'm not just making fun of you, but like, could there be, could there be a little more to our life if we really understood what it means that Jesus is ascended? So here's the first one, is that we have a powerful purpose. Like, what am I here to do? What am I? What's my major supposed to be? What? I don't like my job. What should I be doing? Like, just we have a powerful purpose. Do you remember um, the way Acts started out? Uh, Luke said, "I've told you all about Jesus began to do and to teach." Like, Jesus is continuing His work, and I love this subtle catch He had with His followers in Acts one six. They asked Jesus, uh, "Jesus, when are you going to establish the kingdom?" Like, he is so patient with us. Like, he rose again from the dead. He'd been teaching them for 40 days, and they still don't get it. They still think he is going to set up a kingdom. But then in verse 8, it's a really familiar verse. Listen to what pronoun shows up three times. They said, Jesus, are you going to establish, when are you going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus said, no, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the end of the age. Again, strategically, it might not make sense. You're taking the stud, the all-star, he's leaving the game. You're leaving the game to scrubs, but but the scrubs are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, the scrubs have been given the gospel. The scrubs have been given the very words of God the, from Jesus. And, and now this is this is our purpose. Like, what am I here to do? I am here to take this life-changing message and apply it to me, so God will continue to do a work in me. And then God has given me this message so that I can make sure the people in my life that I love that don't know him yet get this, so that they get the gospel, so that we can expand the rule of Jesus on this planet as person after person after person acknowledges that he is our savior, that he's our king. So what's our purpose? It's to be his witnesses, the great commission may be in a new light now for you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, just go. I'm the ascended Lord. I have all authority. You now go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them, teach them all that I have commanded you. And I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Like that's that's the ultimate purpose that we have. These words will change lives, you guys. We have the message given to us. It'll change us. These words will change people we love in our lives. Last Sunday, one of my highlights was, so four Easter services after the third Sunday morning one, just talking to people in the foyer. And if you had watched who walked through our foyer last week, and you were to pick who is the person here that is struggling the deepest, you would never have picked this man. But after a third hour, this guy was kind of standing off, you know, well-dressed, sharp guy, just kind of waiting to talk. I talked to a few people, and then he came up. His first words to me were, something happened to me in that room. Something just happened. And then he said, do you have one of these in my city? One of these. It's like, what do you mean, like a church? I said, yeah, Jesus has these all over the world. They're, they're pretty cool. <laughs> so he goes, no, I've never been to church. I've never talked to a pastor, but you just need to hear something. Something happened to me in there. And as he continued to talk, his 14-year-old son, the day or two before had tried to kill himself, so he brought his son to Iowa City, and that night before Easter, he spent all night just languishing in a motel room, just suffering and just broken and not knowing what to do. And he felt God say, "You need to go to church. You just need to go to church." He Googled. We were apparently the third on the list, and whatever denomination popped up first, second. Well, I didn't know. I knew I didn't want to go there. I hate those guys. Well, like he came. <laughs> so somehow we were next, you know. So we were next, and he came here. And you guys, he just tracked like with. We talked about Peter's epic fail. We talked about God being great in mercy. We talked about you know a couple of the stories in the video. I mean, he was just piecing me through everything he heard, and he goes, something happened in there. So he had to leave for Easter, but I said, could you come back? He came back to my office Monday, and we went through the gospel, and the gospel has two sides to it. I like to call it the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that every one of us is broken and sinful and separated from God. But the good news is that God is merciful, that God loves sinners, and that Jesus died for our sins, that we can be saved by faith in Christ. We laid that out. He looked at the two sides. He goes, I get this side, the broken, sinful side. He said, this is me. I know nothing about this side. I have thought very little about God. All I know is that this side is intense, and I need something. I need God. And so he says, I'm probably the man in this world that's known the least about God other than I need to know him. And he just put his faith in Christ. And so today in his city, I have a friend there who's taken him to church. And we've been emailing each, each, each morning, just how did you make it through this day? How are you doing? And I sent him, there's a passage in Ephesians. I sent him Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. I said, read this. He'll be back the next day. I didn't get any of that except verse 8 that said, By grace are you saved through faith. And I really needed that today. So there's, there's an example. It's not me. It's not here. It's just the words of God stepping into a man's life at a critical moment and giving, giving him hope and, and beginning to change his life. What's our purpose, you guys? It's, it's to take those life-giving words for ourselves and to share them with people we love. So the ascension means we have a great purpose. The second one is that Jesus is continually with us and for us. He's continually with us and for us. If you remember some of the Easter story, after Jesus rose again from the dead, one of his female followers named Mary like clung to him, like grabbed him when she saw him. And you remember Jesus said, "Like don't don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my Father." And that kind of sounds a little bit hocus pocusy, like, "Ooh, you know, don't touch my body. I'm ascending." And but that you it had nothing to do with her touching him, because later, like he told Thomas to touch, you know, the, hand, the holes in his hands inside. If there was not anything about it, you couldn't touch the body of the resurrected Jesus, what he was trying to communicate to her is, don't cling to me, don't hold on to me, because, because I'm going to ascend to the Father, and it's going to be far better for you when I ascend to the Father, because then my Holy Spirit will come and live with you. Jesus is always with us. That's what the ascension means. When Jesus was on the earth, he could only physically be with the people where his body was when he taught or when he spoke or when he prayed for people or when he counseled people, encouraged people. It was limited to where he was at that time. But with the ascension, Jesus is with us always. He will never leave us. His spirit indwells us. That's why he said, it's better for you that I go so that I can send my spirit. It's better to have my spirit in you than to have me with you. So you are never alone. Jesus is fully present through his spirit in anyone who follows him. Okay, so Holy Spirit 101, like he encourages you, he comforts you, he reminds you of what's true, that constantly Jesus is with you through his spirit. So he is with you. In fact, one thing Jesus is doing now is preparing a place for you. Like there will be a day where literally you will again be in his physical presence. But until then, his spirit is present with you. You are never alone. And then he is constantly for you. Like again, he is your advocate. He died for you. And so you might say, well, is he still with me? I've, I've sinned a lot, even since I've become a Christian. I still have all this junk in my life. Look what Hebrews says again about our exalted high priest. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This is the saddest things, but sometimes God's followers, when they're struggling with sin, they'll hide. Like they'll go away from God, or they certainly can't let any of my Christian friends know that I'm battling. Jesus said, it's the opposite. I am so for you, And that as you continue to battle sin and discouragement, uh, things in your life, man, come to me. Because he understands. He's been here. He's lived this life. He's been tempted as we are. He never sinned, but he understands it. And so we come to him with boldness because we're his. He is for us. So there's a whole new different way that you live when you know that he's with you and for you, even in the midst of your intense battles with sin. Or discouragement. Okay, so he's with us, he's for us. And then finally, that our Savior is king. Our Savior is king. He is in complete charge of all things. And, and this is a little bit of a long passage, but I think this is spot on what we need. So, Ephesians 1, verse 18, Paul was writing to encourage some Christians that were in the minority in their city. There are a lot of other gods, a lot of other faiths being kind of ostracized. This was the confidence he gave them. Listen to what he said. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So apply these to whatever it is your battle today. What's discouraging you? What's, what's making you weary? What's defeating you? Paul says, I pray that your eyes will be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and that his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Listen to this. And God placed all things under his feet. That's an allusion to Psalm 110. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, to be the head over everything. Look at the next three words. For the church. Like all these things are done under the authority of Christ so that he can be free to move for the church. So that what the church is doing, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against. The spread of the message, the spread of the love of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. He is working all things. He's head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Guys, that ought to be a, just an infusion of confidence for us, that the ascended Christ, what is he doing? He is the reigning king, moving all things, God the Father, moving all things under his authority for the church, for his people. Now, not saying that, okay, no, we're just going to have it sweet, and we're just going to be able to walk around and just kind of boss everybody around, but he's going to give us all the power and all the strength we need to fulfill our mission as his witnesses to get the gospel out. All strength, all power we need is his, given to us through our risen king. So there's a ton more we could do. I got to stop now, but I want to do this to wrap up. I want to just kind of circle back through those last three points and just give you a chance to pray. Like so, let's let's pray now to wrap to wrap this up. And so this morning just one one significance of the ascension was that we have a purpose in life. We have a powerful purpose, and it was to, to have God's word change us so we can share that message with others. Could you, could you pray that God would help you dial in with that purpose, that he's given you hope, he's given you a life-changing message for you, and then he's entrusted it to you to share with others. So, so who who's next? Like, who in your life is God calling you to share to share this message with. Pray for that person. Pray that you will fulfill that purpose. But the next one I want you to just pray through is the whole He is for you and He is with you. I don't know what some of you are going through, but I know I hear from some of you, like there's just beatdowns that go on in your head or just lies that you hear about yourself or, or just put downs that are around you, just cutting you down, just... He is for you. He is your advocate. So just fight off those lies about you're not worthy, you don't belong, um, God can't love you. That's not the truth of the gospel. So he is for you. And then maybe some of us battling some isolation or we feel alone, just just remind, just pray, praise him that he is with you. God is for you and with you. Could you pray? pray about that? Just praise him for those truths for you and with you. And then the ascended king is moving all things for his church. Like, what is it that's discouraging you? That's just robbing you of your strength, your courage? Where have you been afraid? Where have you been worried? Could you just right now just pray and just praise the ascended Jesus, that he is he is the king. He has all power, and he shares his power with his people. Did You just ask him for strength. Jesus, we don't want to be the church that just has the right doctrine about the ascension, or that can read the right verses to talk about who you are and where you are today. We want to be the church that lives like this is true. We're going to be the church that really knows that our Savior is ascended, that you are for us, that you are with us, that we have an amazing purpose in our lives and that we have all strength that we need to fulfill that purpose. God, just continue to unleash your church. Unleash us because you are the ascended prophet, priest, and king. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.